Now a stretch pass. Matthews is open. He's got Martyr. Matthews has shot the rebound. Sorokin stopped him twice. Barzell charging back the other way. Got Horvat with him. Oh, Horvat scores. Game winner. New York Islanders. Play action from DeVito. End zone. Catch is made. Touchdown. Isaiah Hodgins. Okay. Swings it around for Rantanen. Fired ahead. Bow. Gets it up. McKinnon on the breakaway. And shoots. And scores. Nathan McKinnon. Sports Radio is back in the Edmonton area. This is Sports 1440 and the Kevin Carius Show. Saul 70 for December the 12th. Uh, good morning to you. Hope you had a wonderful Monday night. There was a lot going on with a couple of NFL games. And, of course, the Calgary Flames had a chance to beat Colorado last night. Had a 5-3 lead into the third period. But the Flames lose by a score of 6-5. to So that means that the Oilers and Flames remain tied in the Western Conference standings in the wildcard race. But the Oilers do have... Three whopping games in hand, and they will use up one of those games. Actually, Calgary in action as well, so it'll still be three games after tonight. But the Oilers will be on home ice tonight looking for win number eight in a row. A real heater, as they say, up against the Chicago Blackhawks and Connor Bedard's first trip to Edmonton and first game against the likes of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and... A guy that he grew up with and sort of idolizing, I guess, a little bit. Brian Nugent Hopkins out in BC. So as you can imagine, we, uh, we'll have a ton of Oilers coverage as we get ready uh, for game night. It's an 8 o'clock puck drop. Call it 8-10 at Rogers Place. The Oilers come in with a record of 500. Finally back to 500. First time this season since opening night. 12-12-1. <laughs> and on this seven-game winning streak, Really, the special teams have been absolutely phenomenal. It's the main reason that the Oilers have won seven in a row. There are other reasons as well. Goaltending has been very, very good. Defensive play has been good. But when you are operating at a penalty kill clip of 95.8% and your power play is humming along at 43.5%, you can see why you have won seven games in a row. Now the Oilers with 25 points, just two back of St. Louis with a couple of games in hand the Oilers do have. Just wanted to mention, wake up this morning, and I think people can kind of recognize that I'm not a massive Twitter guy, but I'm getting pounded on Twitter by one Duke Delburn, Brandon Douglas, giving me the gears right off the hop as soon as I crawl out of the rack because of... A little Nostradamus action from the Duke. And we're going to talk about NFL a little bit. Uh, We're going to switch things up in the game of the day. We're going to sort of recap stuff that happened yesterday and look forward a little bit. But our St. Albert Dodge game of the day will be at 740. But the Duke, last week we had an in or out question. And the Duke phrased it as such. Will there be a change atop both the NFC and the AFC standings? And the Duke said there would be. I said there's no possible way because there's no possible way that Miami could lose to Tennessee. 
But what happened, Duke? Life finds a way, Kevin. I don't think I was giving you the gears per se. I just oh. uh, had had to throw a little uh, <laughs> little shade because you said it Love was it. A, a ridiculous notion that the, the Dolphins would win and retain their spot. And, um. I'll be the first to admit, like, it's it's easy to sit here and say, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I called this uh, last night. I, I knew both or at least one of the two underdog teams are going to win. I, I didn't. I, I just had a eerie feeling about the games that I think there was a, a very good chance. The Dolphins continue to uh, yet to have a win against a team above uh, somebody with a 500 record. So they're still, uh, you know, right at the top of the division and near the top of the conference. But I think there's a lot of question marks surrounding these Miami Dolphins now, not so uh, unlike the Philadelphia Eagles over on the uh, the NFC side of the picture. So um, very entertaining games. I mean, this is for all the tee-up we've had for different <laughs> primetime games this year. Who would have thought that the Thursday nighter of Pittsburgh and New England and then this double Monday nighter of uh, a couple teams that aren't exactly really in the mix between the Giants and the Titans uh, going up against the Dolphins and Packers that we'd be this entertained following week 14. It was a, it was a great week of football, pretty much to start to finish. Eight underdogs uh, win. Uh, I think that's the highest, they say, in so week 14, eight dogs. That's the highest in, well, recent memory. But the one stat that came out, because uh, and the reason why we're going to do the same number of dodge games, games of the days, games of the day, is just the difference between how everything proceeded last night again with these two NFL games. Now, there was a stat on the broadcast last night, and we're not going to get totally into it, but they said it was something like 675 games that a team had not come back under three minutes with 14 points deficit. That's what Tennessee did last night. Looking on the NFL Network this morning, it says uh, not since... Uh, February, so week 12 of 2017 uh, was the last time a team came back from trailing 14 points with under three minutes left. So <laughs> the teams were 0 and 582. So kind of a big deal. And we're going to touch on that in the uh, 740 slot right after Brian Adams. So Oilers and Hawks tonight. Hawks come in with a record of 917 and 1. But I think everybody just wants to see what Connor Bedard looks like in person. I mean, we've seen all the highlights. We saw him at the World Juniors. We've seen him, you know, spin some magic, weave some magic with the Regina Pats in the Western Hockey League. But this is a guy that has continued to perform at the highest of levels in the early going of his NHL career. He's had a phenomenal start. The Blackhawks. Not so much. The power play for the Hawks and the penalty kill for the Hawks are ranked near the bottom of the NHL. So that's when we talked about the Oilers numbers right off the hop. Those numbers with Chicago, very far superior to what the Oilers are putting up so far, will be a key indicator for tonight. Text line is open. one 401 Give us a text. Give us a call. We'll get you on the air if you so choose to. It's going to be another interesting show. We've got tons and tons of guests coming up and a little pinch hit duty. Uh, normally, Grant Fuhr is our guest uh, co-host, our co-host on uh, Tuesdays from 9 to 11. But Fuerzy's got a commercial to shoot. Would you ever think that Fuerzy's going to be shooting commercials down in uh, Palm Desert? But that is the case with Grant Fuhr. So uh, Brian Benning will pinch hit for Fuerzy from the 9 to 10 o'clock hour. And Brian Benning, one of the top storytellers, top he 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 has so many stories from his career. He he played for a number of teams in the NHL and was just a, a, a really he was a really really good defenseman. And I mean, even 
when he came from, um, you know, he's an Edmonton guy. His dad used to scout for the Montreal Canadiens forever. His brother, of course, Jim was GM in, in Toronto, sorry, in Vancouver, uh, was in Toronto. And, and, you know, it's a hockey family. Sons, Matt played here. Michael's playing in the Florida system. So tons of stories. And he's got one unbelievable story when he was playing for the Philadelphia Flyers. And when you hear this story, it's a hunting story. It has to do with a couple of high prominent players. One high prominent player for sure. But it's just a it's just one of the funniest stories uh, you'll ever hear. And it also has something to do with the guy, local guy that went into the hockey hall of fame this November. So how's that for a bit of a a bit of a teaser for you? We touched on Shohei Otani last week. We touched on everything that you could see going on with <laughs> everyone in Toronto thinking that Shohei was on this plane and he was going to be signing with the Jays. And of course he signs the big deal with LA, but now the big part of this deal is all of the deferral cash money market managers, financial planners right now are going bananas because if you haven't heard out of the 700 million, basically Shohani Otani, Shohani Otani, Shohei Otani is going to be deferring 680 million of it to the end. So if you were to invest that money right now, let's just say it was front loaded. He's, you would turn that into well over a billion dollars in the 10 years, unless you have a poor fund manager. But we will talk with uh, Jensen Lewis from Sirius XM Major League Baseball Radio uh, at 720. So there are so many terms. Uh, it gets the Dodgers out of luxury tax purgatory uh, by this deferral. So it gives the Dodgers opportunities to sign other players. It gives the Dodgers... Uh, like it's a it's a it's an end around here. Like this is this is game changing for the Dodgers trying to assemble a better team. I mean, Shohei Otani, I think he's gonna be the fifteenth to seventeenth highest paid player in the Dodgers with just salary next year, two million dollars. Touch on that with uh, Jensen Lewis coming up at seven twenty, Sirius XM Major League Baseball Radio. It's Tuesday. That means we're double barrel shotgunning it. Uh, Mark Spector, Frank Saravelli, Roger Sportsnet, and the Daily Faceoff, eight o'clock and eight twenty. As mentioned, Brian Benning will uh, sniff in at around nine o'clock, uh, and we'll go uh, in the community with Brian Benning, big farmer too. So we'll be talking about how the crop came off. The Toronto Raptors are having a tough goal right now. They just can't beat anyone in their own division. They've lost, uh, I believe, 10 straight division games, and they're not even close. They lose last night, 136 to 130 to the New York Knicks. Raptors now 9 and 14, losers of four straight. Eric Smith, Raptors play by play, Matt, will guess with us at 10 o'clock. And then uh, it's all full circle. Troy Murray, the St. Albert product. Uh, he We guested with the Troy. Oh, but a month and a half ago, he's the Chicago Blackhawks analyst from St. Albert, played uh, three big years back in the day with the uh, St. Albert Saints in the late 70s, went on to the University of North Dakota, then in just a glorious career with Chicago. And, you know, he scored 45 goals one year for Chicago. That's a lot. That's a lot of goals. Finished the uh, NHL career, 914 games played, 230 goals, and uh, 584 points and just the salt of the earth. Troy Murray will, I uh, guess, with us at 1020 to set the table 
with Connor Bedard and the Chicago Blackhawks in town. Connor Bedard right now with 23 points. He has seven points clear of Luke Hughes, Marco Rossi, and Adam Fantilli. So he is the cream of the crop when it comes to rookie scoring. We all knew that, that that's what would happen. But right now, Adam Fantilli is kind of on his heels a little bit with uh, Marco Rossi and Luke Hughes, but well back at seven points. How about the defenseman scoring? Wanted to touch on that. Now, right now, Evan Bouchard ranks third, I guess, in in defenseman scoring. Kale McCarr has 36 points. Quinn Hughes, 36 points as well. These guys have been, you know, I mean, McCarr and Hughes are the top two defensemen in the league. But Evan Bouchard is going to get some votes for the Norris Trophy. He's going to get some votes if he continues to play like this. It is... I'm a remarkable turnaround in the sense that we saw what he was doing defensively, and he has been good defensively. He has been very good defensively in the last few weeks. His, I guess when you want to call his little streak that he's on, he's on an 11-game point-scoring streak. Uh, He had a power play goal against the Devils, a slap shot. He's got... 16 points during that streak, five goals and 10 assists, so 15 points. Uh, He ranks third in the NHL with 28 and 14 power play points, which sits second. That 11-game streak is tied with Paul Coffey for the second longest point-scoring streak by a defenseman. He's going to get some Norris Trophy votes, which a few weeks ago you would have went, wow. Uh, Text coming in. Oh, and here's one of the... uh, in or out, Duke, from last week. Northside Norm says, of the four Connors on the ice tonight, I bet Brown gets his first goal tonight for the Oilers. Northside Norm. That was one of the in or outs last week, wasn't it? I believe so, Duke. Yes, whether or not Connor Brown would uh, get his first goal before the, the break. Christmas break. And, man, he was close the, uh, the other on Sunday afternoon, but... Just, Close uh, on Sunday, and then the game before had one off the crossbar yes. against. Yeah, uh, yeah he's been he's been he's right been, around the net, yeah. so he's sniffing it. It's just uh, it might be a case of a Ryan McLeod situation where he just kind of needs a fortunate break or you know s- something something to go his way to kind of uh, get the the seal broke on the ketchup bottle, and then it'll all come hopefully spilling out uh, immediately following. Yeah. Uh, so when we come back, we will uh, check in with Jensen Lewis from Sirius XM Major League Baseball Radio. We'll talk about uh, Shohei Otani. We'll talk about, uh, well, we also uh, Yoshi Yamamoto, where he's going to go. That's probably the next big, big free agent uh, on the market. And we'll check in with the Blue Jay situation. Do they have a sniff at Cody Bellinger? That's coming up on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. Uh, minus 10, uh, minus 9 actually now in Edmonton. Looking for a high of plus 3, plus 6 tomorrow. Weather just continues to be absolutely fabulous in the uh, capital region as we creep up on Christmas. Uh, let's welcome in our first guest of the day, uh, Jensen Lewis from Sirius XM Major League Baseball Radio. Morning, Jensen. Welcome back to Sports 1440. Hey, good morning to you. And uh, if it's as cold as it is there, as it is here in Northeast Ohio, uh, we're all <laughs> Well, it's a lot warmer here than normal. The seasonally temperatures are a little colder right now, normally heading into Christmas, but we've been truly blessed uh, going into the next few weeks uh, in Christmas. And speaking about Christmas coming early for uh, one young baseball player, that would be uh, Shohei 
Otani, uh, what did you think of, of the deal? And, and I guess when up here, Jensen, we were following it because there were so many crazy thoughts and rumors about the Jays possibly being in on things. But then Jays fans kind of fell for the banana in the tailpipe with that plane going into Toronto. And uh, But what a contract, $700 million, A lot of it did, deferred. Can you kind of break it down for our listeners? Yeah, I think the first thing to take away is is obviously the wow factor of, of the total amount of, of the contract. And, you know, we can get into the minutia of, of what the real value is uh, at present for, uh, you know, the, the salary cap issues or the luxury tax issues, I should say. Um, but but first and foremost, process, right? And, and I think all of us uh, were, were having an eye on uh, the rumors and things that surrounded uh, not only uh, leading up to the, the 24 hours of following the plane and uh, then ultimately him announcing his decision via Instagram, but uh, it, when I was in Nashville uh, for the winter meetings and, and just talking with different people, I mean, there's a real sense that not only Toronto, but you know even uh, the Chicago Cubs might even be close in there. And of course, the Dodgers uh, had been the odds-on favorite at the beginning of the entire free agent process to, to land him. But you, first and foremost, you, you can't fault Mark Shapiro, Ross Atkins, two people I know very well mm-hmm. from our days here in Cleveland. They, they did as good a job as you could possibly hope to land, you know, the most impactful player of our generation. So uh, it doesn't feel good to finish second, if you will, on that. But I think it kind of gives Toronto fans an idea that when the biggest fish is in the pond – you know, they're going to go for him. And, and I think to, to kind of echo Kevin Gosman's comments, too, uh, on social media about, you know, hearing what, what people were saying about Toronto in general, I got to tell you, it's, it's a destination place to play. And just because you didn't get free agent number one doesn't mean that uh, you're, you're not going to be able to land uh, some guys that want to come there and be a part of, of something special. And, and I, I want to underline that because I think that's the most important part is there is something very special going on with the Blue Jays right now, the renovations there to Rogers Center, and, and what kind of attractive place it is not only to play but to live. I, I think that's the resounding thing I get from hearing from different free agents is, yeah, Otani may not be there, but man alive, this is a great place to play and arguably the best division in baseball. And, and Jensen, the complex in Dunedin, too, is top-notch. There's no question about it. and I, I don't think we've ever really seen – you know, uh, free agents in general, let alone the echelon of a free agent and, and Shoei Otani, want to double check and make sure that every single inch of, of his new home, you know, both in spring training uh, and also uh, in in the big leagues as far as the regular season goes, you want to sign every, you want to sign off on everything, you want to feel good about where you're going to be. So uh, again, I, I underline the fact that first and foremost that. Toronto got to the finish line. Uh, it didn't get across at first, but to get to that point and, and really to present as attractive an offer and as attractive a place to be, not only as a person, but as a player, uh, I'll, I'll take that to the bank because it won't be the last time that they go into free agency and have a shot at, at the biggest fish out there. Jensen Lewis, Sirius XM, Major League Baseball Radio, our guest on Sports 1440. Uh, just one more quick one with Otani, just regarding how big of a factor so the competitive balance tax so the cbt comes into play here with the dodgers and the ability how they can i guess sign more players how big of a factor will this be moving forward with the dodgers yeah it's massive because now you essentially sign 
the biggest free agent to one of the smallest you know, average annual values during you know, his playing tenure, at least the, the 10 years that we've seen it's going to be a $2 million salary, and then the $68 million of the $70 million for those 10 years deferred for the next decade. Uh, so essentially it comes out to a $46 million average annual value for the player. Um, I, I think the other part to, to understand with, with L.A. is you know, they're not done with having to get guys that ultimately are going to cost a, a pretty penny. Uh, if you think about where if they trade for a Tyler Glass now, that's still $25 million a year. Uh, if they go out and try and get uh, Dylan Cease, you would anticipate they try and sign him to an extension knowing what they would have to give up going back to Chicago. Uh, Corbin Burns also a trade candidate too in Milwaukee. Milwaukee's not going to give up. Uh, uh, Corbin Burns without a, a, a very attractive prospect and major league package coming back. So there's, there's still some major expenses for them, and, and particularly the rotation is what we focus on because we know Otani won't be in that rotation until at the very earliest 2025. Walker Bueller in his walk year, um, knowing that you're going to still have young guys and Bobby Miller and Ryan Pepio, they're going to have to get meaningful innings for you. You likely don't have Dustin May for the entirety of the season and no Tony Gonsolin at all with a Tommy John surgery. So still a lot for them to do. But I think now with that payroll flexibility, it allows them at least another big ticket item. And, you know, if somehow they get Yoshi Yamamoto too, <laughs> uh, this is this is as big uh, a sign. I mean, you could potentially see the Dodgers spend $1 billion, that's with a B, $1 billion between Otani and Yamamoto. If Yamamoto ends up having a $300 million price tag we've been hearing, it's just <laughs> – it's monopoly money in our world right now. It sure is. Jensen Lewis, our guest on Sports 1440. Do you think uh, it's like a 50-50 chance that uh, Yamamoto signs in L.A., or is he New York bound, do you think? Yeah, some of the rumors have been that he's, he's kind of grown up wanting to be a, a New York Yankee. And I think with the pitch uh, that apparently happened yesterday with uh, you know Hideki Matsui and, and Masahiro Tanaka, uh, all indications are that uh, that meeting and those meetings went uh, went really well, and, and the optimism uh, sounds like it's very much there uh, from the Yankee camp. I, I still believe that Steve Cohen and the Mets have to be heard from, uh, at least at the top end of this free agent market, somehow, some way, and, and knowing that one of their huge needs is the top of that rotation to go along with Kodai Senga, uh, it makes all the sense in the world that the Mets will probably be in this thing all the way to the end. What else can the Dodgers offer uh, outside of, of the money, I, I think, is having Otani also now be their pitch man and say, hey, here's the reason I wanted to be here for the next decade. You're starting out your major league career. There's no better place. Yeah, I played you know, down the highway in Anaheim uh, for the first part of my career, but listen, we can build something here that will not only be a legacy, but we'll have a chance to win a World Series every year in this division. So really attractive there for L.A. getting uh, as good a pitch man, <laughs> you know, for a native countryman as you possibly can. Uh, Jensen, what do you make of the Blue Jays now, I guess, changing gears, shifting gears? And I guess the name that we keep hearing is Cody Bellinger. Could you, is there a chance that he could surface in Toronto with the Jays? Or does he have, uh, I mean, we always hear, you know, the Cubs in Colorado with Bellinger as well. But what are the, what are the chances in, in Toronto for, for Bellinger? Yeah, I think they're I think they're excellent, and and the versatility is is probably the most attractive part there. Knowing uh, that he can play center, he can play uh, a corner outfield if needed. He can play first base. He can DH. Uh, 
Uh, and to know where your lineup construction is uh, in the middle of that lineup, uh, of course, it would behoove uh, both Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins to get a left-handed power bat. That being said, yeah, he'll get he'll get some attractive offers, I think, also, and, and wanting uh, and knowing where the Cubs are at this point, wanting to bring him back, knowing what they had built last year and the momentum that they have. But to me, the most attractive is to <laughs> bat in an order with, as of right now, Bo Bichette and, and Vladdy Guerrero Jr., uh, when you have George Springer at the top of that lineup and, and then knowing the athleticism uh, that you can can really have in that first four to five uh, in the projected order, uh, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, Ballinger not going to be deterred whatsoever from uh, the bright lights there in the AL East. Uh, and having played in L.A. for a long time, of course, Chicago is used to the big markets. Uh, I think this presents a real opportunity for him, too, knowing what the renovations are uh, at Rogers Center and, and where the dimensions are, it's it's going to allow him to to have not only a fabulous uh, defensive campaign, but also the offense. I think can be there as well. So uh, there's there's a lot to like about the opportunity. That yeah, you didn't get Otani, but man, to pivot uh, and and to know that there's a piece or two there that you know for all intents and purposes could be way more affordable <laughs> than <laughs> 700 million to Otani. So yeah, I, I I think there's an excellent chance. Uh, that Toronto could get him. Well, you know, Jensen, we were talking if if Otani would have signed with the Jays, it would have been a billion uh, Canadian. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with the exchange, yeah, uh, the, yeah the, the 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 conversion there is uh, is what it is, and I don't think uh, Blue Jay fans would have minded uh, being able to to go with the the. Elevated ticket prices or concessions as well. I think they would have taken it. I think so too. Jensen Lewis, uh, Sirius XM, Major League Baseball Radio, our guest on Sports 1440. When you were in Cleveland pitching from 07 to, to 2010, Jensen, and you did mention you had uh, Shapiro and Atkins there in the front office. What did you see from them? What do you see from them, I guess, now in Toronto? They did take a little heat, I think, with the Varsho uh, Marino trade. But what do you make of the two guys that are running the Jays that you knew and know from your Cleveland days? Yeah, I'll, I'll go all the way back to you know the, the, my draft day, honestly, in 2005, and, and I got the call from Mark that uh, they were going to take me in the third round, and uh, then you know interacting with Ross uh, when he was on player development uh, on the minor league side, and um, even to the point too uh, where you know at the end of spring training or towards the end of spring training in 2007. Uh, it was you know Ross who sat me down and said, hey, we, we really feel like we can accelerate your path to the big leagues. We're going to transition you from a starter to a reliever. And sure as heck, uh, he was right. Uh, I was up uh, in the big leagues from AA uh, to begin the season uh, the first day after the All-Star break. So they've always been honest. Uh, they've always been up front. Um, the tough conversations, uh, they don't like having as far as they, they really care about people, but they understand the business side of it too. And, and that's all you ask for as a big leaguer is, hey, just tell me where I'm at. Give me my roadmap and, and give me my checklist. And, and I think they're as good as anyone about doing that. The honesty is huge in our league, and, and there are teams that, that, that don't have that from top to bottom. So Toronto in great hands with Mark and Ross. And, and as I said, yeah, you might have missed out on the big prize uh, in, in kind of prisoner of the moment status here, but – Man, too good of a team, too good of a rotation, back end of a bullpen. Like it, they're just not far away from from getting over the hump here of the last couple of postseasons where it just didn't materialize. You know, we had uh, a great AAA baseball team here for many, many years in Edmonton, Jensen. One of the players who came through was Casey Blake. You played with him in Cleveland. What was that like, yeah. and what kind of player was he to play with in the at the big league level? Uh, Case is uh, as good as they come, and it just feels like, 
they they really uh, when you when you have a, a guy like that in in an organization, he just knows uh, how to to be great. Especially when he was on the back half of his career, I was lucky to play with him uh, when I got called up in '07, and and just a guy that uh, is a ball player, man. Just throwback, like hey, strap it on, let's go and. Uh, let's let's get the uniform dirty and 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 go ahead and, and run it back to, uh, the next day. Uh, someone that too, I think, uh, really found uh, his calling when we made our playoff run too, because he he was a leveling force for us in the clubhouse and uh, a little bit more of a laid back attitude, which I think helped balance some of the intensity we had in there. So. Right man, right spot for us, and uh, lucky to have called him a teammate. You know, we had so many great players uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s here, Jensen, like, like Casey Blake. We had Michael Kadire was here. We had uh, Johan Santana, Michael Restovich, all great, great players, and it was fun to watch them evolve and then get to the major league level. When you were in Cleveland, you had 13 saves in the 08 season. Then uh, how did it go? You had like some injuries and, and problems with, with arm problems and things like that. Can you kind of just tell us your journey in that sense? Yeah, for me, uh, I really was kind of injury-free. It was more of uh, being the, the odd man out with, with options. Uh, and, and when we needed to bring a guy back off the IL, they needed the roster spot, so I would get uh, option down to AAA. I kind of joked that I was uh, the captain of the, the AAA shuttle. I'd be going back and forth. <laughs> Uh, between Columbus and Cleveland, which is only about uh, a tick over a two-hour drive. But uh, and for me, uh, you know, having to burst on the scene I did in 07 and then uh, closing uh, for the last half of, of 2008, actually great story. My first ever big league save came there in Toronto. Uh, and I got to tell you, it was one of those days where I had no expectation whatsoever to be going in with a lead, let alone – in the ninth inning in a save situation, but uh, the situation dictated because of the guys we had used previously, and uh, they were searching for, for a back-end guy that could be effective, and lo and behold, uh, Alex Rios uh, ends up punching out uh, for, for my final out there, and uh, I, I could not stop smiling uh, the <laughs> entire time because it was, it was a surreal feeling uh, that, hey, you just closed out a big league game, we got the dub, and uh, to do it uh, on international soil, too, in a place that, as you guys well know, a hostile environment, no matter what time of the year you play there. So uh, always will have fond memories there just from an individual achievement. Uh, and then even moving forward, uh, you know, continuing to play. And Cleveland was my childhood dream team, grew up here, uh, always wanted to play for them. And now getting to cover them on the media side, this will be my 12th year, which is still mind-boggling to think about. 12 years uh, on media, nine years on, on the playing side. Uh, it, it's been a fun ride, and, and can't wait to keep it going. And, and you guys had some sensational starting pitching in those days in Cleveland. Yeah, back-to-back Cy Young winners uh, with CC Sabathia in 07, and then Cliff Lee in 2008. You could even have made an argument, uh, the artist uh, formerly known as Fausto Carmona there in 2007. <laughs> it was, a, it was a, a, a double-edged sword there with uh, CC and, and Fausto as our one and two. Uh, but Jake Westbrook, uh, veteran presence for us. Paul Bird was awesome. Uh, we ended up trading Victor Martinez for Justin Masterson, uh, who was our ace for a while. Of course, uh, Corey Kluber, when he was coming up, uh, we were teammates in AAA for a short amount of time. And, uh, boy, the development from then to where he was in, in his heyday and, of course, 2014 and 2017, winning the Cy Youngs and then what he did for us in 2016 in the run to the World Series. Uh, it, it's been we've, we've called it pitching you here for a long time. Uh, we've been blessed with guys that really know how to draft and develop. And uh, fortunately, in, in the economics 
uh, of, of our game. We know that's the, the most expensive commodity and the fact that we can essentially do it for almost free uh, mm-hmm. you know, within the system. It, it really helps us stay competitive year in and year out. Hey, Jensen, thanks so much for your time this morning. And uh, it's going to be interesting these next few weeks with, you know, players like Yamamoto and see where they surface. And hopefully the Jays can uh, land a, a player or two that can uh, help them uh, push next year because it's going to be an interesting season again uh, in, you know, <laughs> I mean, the American League East is going to be tough again, but it's obviously going to be fun to watch the Dodgers on the West Coast too. Thanks for doing this, Jensen. Always, and uh, great to be with you guys. Uh, I would anticipate uh, a big-ticket item landed in Toronto here soon. Well, we're going to keep an eye on that for sure. Appreciate your time. That's Jensen Lewis, Sirius XM, Major League Baseball Radio. Holy smokes, uh, all that deferred money with Otani. uh, You look at that, he's going to be in a decade. In a decade, that's when he starts making 68 mil a year. So he doesn't make, he's making 2 mil a year for the next decade. Then after that, for the decade after, make sixty-eight mil a year for ten more years. So again, if he would have had, even if he gets a couple of years at seventy million front-loaded, let's call it one hundred and forty million. If you say that that's how it worked for the first season or two, in ten years you should be able to turn that into about three hundred mil. It's just crazy in the sense that <laughs> what, what, how much money he's leaving on the table. And he doesn't need it because he's got so many endorsements. He's got such a following in Japan. He's he's on every cover of every cereal box and every commercial in Japan. And he's got lots and lots of money. Uh, when we come back, it will be our St. Albert Dodge game of the day. And we're... A little twist. That, it gives us the levity, uh, the opportunity to switch things around here. And because of what happened last night in the NFL with two outstanding games, we never even talked about Tommy DeVito. Like, did you see his agent, Duke? Is that, is that his agent or is that where people well, he, in it, the stands? It, it is. That was it. Well, he had like a whole family there, of course, a uh, local guy. <laughs> but yeah, like on field pregame and then in the stands kissing or getting kissed on the cheek by... Tommy DeVito's cousin or dad or something like, like it just is this wardrobe. He looked like that has to be a bit. There's no way that guy goes out of the house every day dressed like that. <laughs> that is the most comedic thing. Like that was the biggest storyline last night was Tommy DeVito and the entire DeVito clan the down at down at MetLife. Yeah, so he's cut, living with his mom, right? Cut, mom and dad. Oh, oh god! Like I, I we'll touch on this a little bit yeah. more uh, coming into uh, in or out. I've got a question in there related Good. to this, but. It, it was entertaining, and a, a pair, like we already said right off the top, a pair of great football games, and uh, really nice to see uh, DeVito kind of getting a little bit of shine here because, you know, for, for quarterbacks like him, it, uh, it rarely works out, and sometimes their time in the spotlight is pretty brief, and he's making the most of it, at least while it lasts, so good for him. That's coming up uh, right after the break, our St. Albert Dodge Games of the Day on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program, yeah. Two weeks till Christmas? What is going on? Where did the time go? Actually, it's two weeks to Boxing Day. Christmas would have been yesterday. That's not uh, Chuck Berry, is it, Duke? That's another version of Run Run Rudolph? That's my boy, B.A. That's B.A.? Oh, yeah. See, I would have never thought about that. I didn't even know he did a Christmas song. Oh, yeah, he's got quite a few, really? actually. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know if he had a full Christmas Woo. album. He might have, but he had quite a few tracks, for sure. Wow. And that's, you know that's what? That's the best one. That's one of my favorites. Here, Christmas I thought you were you were giving me the banana in the tailpipe by changing things <laughs> no, up Kevin, at the seven forty break. You can't, that's that's not the right. Uh, oh, that is the expression, but I don't think you should use it in that specific context about uh, my <laughs> banana and your tailpipe. Well, I, 
I don't. I'm not thinking. I'm not. I, that's not what. That's not how the saying goes, Duke. Well, yeah, <laughs> I know. Get, but the way you said that, that's how it uh, immediately let's reads get across. On to some new business. That's here. how it reads. Across. Let's get into some new business. We might as well start with a text here from uh, the King of Fort Nasty. Good morning, KK and Duke. The whole Shohei debacle was almost as intense as the time Duke was tossing up moving from the Delburn Outlaws to the Stetler Lightning. Cheers, King of Fort Nasty. Ever happen? Uh, no, I would. Oh, okay. I never. The only I ever only once ever went to tryouts uh, somewhere else, and it was more so for the experience, and that was to Camrose, uh, my first year of what was at the time midget hockey, minor midget. Um, so a uh, minor midget AAA, and you know, a couple rounds of tryouts, and then you're like, all right, well, this is fun. Back to back to the hometown, mm-hmm. and uh, that now the Stetler Lightning don't exist, or no, the Junior B team is back there actually, I think. Um, but the senior team is called the Imperials, and that's who I play against now, and that is a heated rivalry, of course, being them the uh, closest geographical <laughs> opponent. I can't imagine the, how heated that, it is. Well, because Delburn, like where it is at compared to the rest of the teams in our league in this scene, like we play against Irma, Provost, Oy, and like every other team's like Forestburg's the only other one that's even within, you know, less than an hour and a half. So Stetler being only, you know, 25, 30 minutes away across the river, it's, uh, you know, you grew up with a lot of the same people, come across them in the community. So, yeah, it's heated. It's heated, baby. So uh, <laughs> unlike what the King of Fort Nasty saying, I would never have never contemplated uh, making the switch over to the other side of the river. Although my... Uh, not brother-in-law, but my sister's long-term boyfriend plays for them. So, <laughs> Time now for the game of the day, brought to you by St. Albert Dodge. They have 165 Ram 1500s all dressed up and waiting for you with an incredible 20% off MSRP. That is a saving up to $14,000. And again, the game of the day by St. Albert Dodge gives us some flexibility so we can talk about what's going on tonight. Now, normally we probably might do the Oilers game tonight, but we will be talking about it over the course of the next two, three hours. We talked about it off the top. And because of what happened in the NFL, we're just going to kind of look back to the games of the day from last night. Now, what happened in those two games? No one thought that, okay, Duke maybe thought that Tennessee could win, as he said in his uh, in or out last week. But 28-27, Tennessee over Miami. First of all, according to next-gen stats, and the probability of Tennessee coming back to win was 0.4% when they trailed 27-13 with 3.08 left in regulation. So the comeback win was the second most improbable victory in the next-gen stats era. That dates back seven years. In week 14, so the Titans became the first team to win a game trailing by 14-plus points with under three minutes left since the Saints in week 11 against Washington. Prior to last night, teams trailing by 14-plus points with under three minutes left were 0 and 582. Bizarro world. The bigger stat that is sort of kind of got lost in the shuffle yesterday because of what happened, and Miami blowing on opportunity to stay in first place, Tyreek Hill. So he gets hurt early on a catch where he goes outside uh, on, on, on the sidelines, just, just out of bounds. Stayed out of the game for a long time. Came back, Duke, and then what? Had a couple catches, finished, I don't know, he had three catches, I think. He, he wasn't playing every snap, right? Nope. And even like as the Dolphins needed 
um, like that final drive. Like he wasn't even on the field every snap for that uh, that attempt to tie the game. So the injury was obviously bugging him. Mm-hmm. Uh, noticeably, there's a story out this morning that it says uh, some text messages from his wife or what uh, spurred him towards like at least continuing to trying to play. Finished with four receptions, 61 yards. So a incredibly mm-hmm. modest night by his own standards. Uh, he's averaging over 125 per game this season. Uh, doesn't get into the end zone. Uh, both uh, touchdowns for the Dolphins on the offensive side belong to Raheem Mostert, who had a good night. But yeah, it, it was what makes this game and the way it ended even more perplexing is how it started with obviously uh, Will Levis throwing um, you know the pick six from basically on his own goal line, the uh, the muffed punt by the mm-hmm. uh, the Titans receiver. Like the Titans special teams is kind of a disaster uh, when you go back to last week when the couple blocked punts, uh, their punter getting injured. But then at the same time, they also blocked a field goal attempt by the the Dolphins that. They only won by one point. Like that's the difference of the game when you boil it down. So it, it was a wildly entertaining tilt. You got to give credit to to Will Levis. Um, finished with three twenty seven, mm-hmm. one uh, one throwing TD. Derrick Henry, like two scores, game winner, just thirty four yards. He looks like he just wants to walk <laughs> into the end zone or walk for a two three yard gain. He doesn't yeah. look like he wants to push the pile or knife through or steamroll guys yeah it's i don't know what it because like he's still so capable i would think unless there's some sort of like you know not necessarily injury but like nagging thing that's like he's like he, he's kind of reached a point where he's like yeah i'm i'm done with that and we talked about it yesterday with joe rex wrote about the fact mm-hmm. that like he deserves the world in terms of financial compensation for what he's done for this franchise and how competitive he's made them over his tenure he's not going to get it no and last night's a good example um, but this is one I wanted to throw to you following this game, Kevin. With the way it went for the Dolphins without Tyree Kill in the lineup, does that make his case for MVP yes. stronger? I, I really believe that. He, yeah. with He's having a season for the age, ages. I don't think he can get to 2,000 yards now. Yeah. But he is having a season for the ages for all-time wide receivers. You can put him up there with a, a guy like Calvin Johnson, um, whoever else you want to put in that category. Tyreek Hill deserves deserves top three consideration for MVP. Also, you mentioned Will Levis, and we are graced in here in the studios with our co-hosts. Like, you know, Eddie Steele comes in with the pipes. He's got the guns, eh? Laddie comes in. He's got the guns. The eight-pack, Schle- eight yeah. as Whitney said, I think. Schlemmer comes in. You know, he's still working out. Lorian Munzer, still top physical condition. But Will Levis... He comes in here last night showing off those guns on primetime TV. When he when they scored the touchdown and he flexed. Yeah. He's like a, he's ripped, man. It, he he I don't think he has this quite as much natural raw skill, but he certainly gives flashes of Josh Allen in terms of the size, the arm strength, the ability to run the ball like mm-hmm. they are a similar built similarly built and similarly profiled out quarterback. Just starting. And it, yeah. And, and like it, it's, it hasn't been an easy road for him since taking over for Tannehill. But I, I certainly think the Titans made the right choice. This season is lost for them. Um, mm-hmm. If you would at the start of the season peg them to to be finishing last in that division, I don't think a lot of people would have agreed with you um, because of where the the Colts and the Texans kind of you know people thought they were going to go starting this uh, this season. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, at least turning the reins over. Like Ryan Tannehill is not the answer, not the long-term answer, not the short-term <laughs> answer. So it's uh, it's nice to see Levis um, having some success and continue to, to learn because on the one fumble that once again turned into points 
for the Dolphins, you know, the missed pitch to Derrick Henry. And, like, Levis comes to the sideline and just to his uh, OC, just, you know, pat on the chest. Say, yeah, that's on me. Doesn't try and shift blame. He's showing some uh, some growth and some responsibility for a young guy. I think he's got a pretty promising uh, future ahead of him. But we've said that before yeah. about young guys, too. You mentioned special teams. As fun, as exciting as both those games were, those are probably two of the worst games on special teams that you will see oh my. with egregious errors. It happened in the Green happened Bay. Happened the Packers yeah, as well. Packers Nixon. awful yeah. on special teams. I, I don't know what was going through Nixon's head uh, when, like you muffed up, you muffed up. Just get on it. Right? You just got to drop yeah, on it. Like it's not it. like even you're on your own one yard line. Like what yeah. you stand to gain in that situation Nothing. is so little compared to the risk. And and we saw it firsthand. And what to me is more perplexing about the Packers special team issues is that their special teams coordinator is Rich Pasicchia, who had taken over as interim head coach of the Raiders before they hired McDaniel's and had he led them to the playoffs. And he is well regarded as one of the best special teams guys in the entire league. Mm-hmm. Like Lafleur brings him over to to Green Bay, and it, uh, it it's confusing to me because his reputation precedes him, and he's had a lot of success both as a, a special teams coordinator and even a brief stint as a head coach. The Raiders didn't give him the job, and they kind of regret that now. But uh, it was it was an ugly night on the special team side of the, the ball. Missed kicks, like you name it. Packers stunk last night. They <laughs> they stunk. But Tommy DeVito, I I'm not going to call him Danny anymore because he deserves the respect. Uh, so I, I I did that for the first couple weeks, but not anymore. He deserves the respect of a quarterback that has found ways to win. And just the story with his mom. And there, again, you heard it in the broadcast at the start. The parents, the mom's not even cooking for him. They're getting stuff dropped off at the house. All the Giants fans, all the Italians are coming to the house, dropping off the cutlets, dropping off the pasta, all the lasagna. Tommy DeVito's mom doesn't have to cook. The agent is there, uh, right? He looks like, what's his name, from... Uh, LPR, Love Pro Wrestling, LPW. Oh, uh, what's the guy's name? I don't know his name, but I know who you know what I'm I've talking seen, about. I've seen the pictures. Yeah, yeah, it's like this guy looks like uh, Jimmy Hart from WWE. And and anytime Devito makes a big play, and he made several last night, that big throw to to get the Giants in position to kick the winning field goal, like the the entire stadium doing the the Italian yes. hand gestures. And like the the stuff on Twitter, you see all the, the Sopranos references. Like it is a goldmine for content. And I, like I said, I hope he capitalizes in terms of uh, securing a future for himself because I don't like he, how he's played. He might, uh, you know, probably get another contract as a backup. I would think uh, just based mm-hmm. off this small sample. But football's not forever, and a lot of these backup guys don't make a ton of money, right? So you kind of have to find other ways to secure yourself for your you and your family. And I mean, hey, he he is like the guy in the spotlight right now. It's kind of like the prime time to pounce on it. Those were the games of the day. A little recap of two NFL games that we probably won't see ever again. Especially, especially, especially Tennessee and Miami. Unbelievable. Uh, brought to you by Saint Albert Dodge. Uh, join in the holiday cheer. Help Saint Albert Dodge fill their Ram fifteen hundred with toys for the Salvation Army. Stop in, say hi at the north end of Saint Albert Trail. Uh, throw a toy in the truck box and it'll make you feel good uh lots of vehicles there to have a look at as well uh when we come back top of the hour mark specter from rogers sportsnet and also frank saravalli 
from the Daily Faceoff. Before that, time now for a Sports 1440 update brought to you by First Round. Watch NFL football at First Round Monday, Thursdays, and Sundays, and you could win a trip to watch your favorite team next year. Here is the Duke.